sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Back to the phone lines, and we start with George. Good morning, George. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. You were talking a while ago about funny names for tomato plants. We got one from you uh, several years ago called Boxcar Wheelie. <laughs> yes, sir. And that's how I found out about determinate and indeterminate tomatoes. You're right. That Boxcar Wheelie was huge. <laughs> the reason I called, I got in the mail from an outfit soliciting money some packets of seeds uh-huh. from Page's Seed Company in New York State. Okay. They're Shasta Daisy, Forget-Me-Nots, Butterfly Wildflower Mix, and Marigolds. Okay. Do you think those will do down here? The Marigolds will definitely do. Um, Forget-Me-Nots, uh, so-so. I mean, they, uh, they're they not the easiest thing. Shasta Daisies. Shasta Daisies do well in the spring here, but I don't think you're going to have much luck growing them from seed. You're much better off to let somebody in a cooler climate get the plant started and then plant your Shastas, uh, you know, as little bedding plants. You plant the seed, and by the time they get up big enough to bloom, Texas heat's pretty much going to do a number on them. So um, if you've got any relatives above the Mason-Dixon line, uh, send them up that way. Um, And, again, I don't know what is in their butterfly mix probably some of them will be fine here uh some others won't do so well but uh it just doesn't say what's in them it just says uh uh north american mixture yeah well that doesn't mean much (laughs) it doesn't mean anything but if they were free i don't know that i'd be sending them any money i don't know what the cause is but it's kind of like you know the um arbor day society and all they they send you six trees five of which won't do won't grow at all and one of them which won't be the best one here so i i tend to view anything that comes out of that part of the country with a lot of doubt i think i'll just throw these away and go get some plants from you well just if you've got any you know if you're driving down the road and you got a city park or something like that uh open the package and just fling the seed out i know they were doing that down around the almost dam they're actually giving the residents in that area wildflower seed and saying just take it throw it as you drive across there just throw it out of your car and uh plant it somewhere i wouldn't put it in the trash but you know if you've got a a a neighborhood green belt or something like that plant it and then go back in a month or two and see if anything's growing or doing well i i wouldn't just throw it out but i certainly wouldn't plant it in a place that i was knowing i needed to have something showy and beautiful well, I've got a spot in the backyard that I can do that. Go for it. I will. Thanks, Bob. You're welcome, George. Good question. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Jan's up next, then Kenny and Leah. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I was calling, um, is there a pomegranate tree that 
makes ornamental pomegranates and then one that makes real pomegranate? Well, the ornamental pomegranate is grown strictly for its flower. Pomegranate flowers are beautiful. They're orange. They're big, fairly long-lasting, very, very striking flowers. But it's not that they make an ornamental fruit. It's that they make very, virtually no fruit. They'll have, you know, on a big tree, you'll have two or three or four fruits per summer, uh, but what they've done to create a super beautiful flower is they've just done, they've bred them to where the normal reproductive parts of the flower, the pistils and stamens, are replaced by more petals. So it makes for a prettier flower, but it's uh, sort of been neutered. It can't reproduce. Your productive pomegranates, the flowers are still pretty, but they're not quite as full, but they've retained the um the flower parts that allow them to make a big fruit so uh now of the fruiting pomegranate some of them definitely produce a bigger fruit some of them um, may produce a little bit more fruit but the so-called ornamental pomegranate uh, is a variety that makes little or no fruit you're growing it for its flowers well which one would you suggest if you want the fruit I would suggest, but the old-fashioned one, probably still in my garden, still the best producer, is a variety called Wonderful. Uh, there are a lot of newer hybrids. There, some of them make bigger pomegranates. But if you want something, you can basically plant it and forget it. Just a little water, a little fertilizer, and uh, watch the fruit. Pick it at the proper point of ripeness. Uh, look for the variety called Wonderful. So those are more like kind of like a bigger bush than a tree much more of a bush than a tree i can't say that i've ever really seen a single trunk pomegranate of any variety um, if you want a shape think about the way an oleander goes uh, grows that's the way a pomegranate grows just much bigger mine probably uh eight or nine feet tall in hill country soil okay so um my son was wanting to plant some trees and some different things. I'm trying to talk him into a pomegranate because mm-hmm. I know his wife would use it and his kids would eat them. Sure. But um, I really, I don't know why he wants to plant trees. He has four acres out, um, 46 in Ralph Fair area there. Uh, right in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. I guess that'd be my front yard. There's a little closer to San Antonio. You know, the, a big issue there is going to be things that the deer will leave alone and, um, uh, and of course, well, they have two dogs that keep the deer out of the yard. Um, well, you, what about twelve o'clock at night when the dogs are sound asleep? I I know a lot of people that that have some damage, even though they have dogs. That the main damage that he's going to get, of course, is the bucks coming in and rubbing on the trees. So I always put a little barrier. I always put a T post or two up against the trunks, especially during the fall season but things that i would suggest that he look at uh in that area there is one of the uh so-called orchid trees one of the balhenias which is called an anacacho orchid grows as a big bush beautiful white flowers um there uh, you know again several different varieties of red bud that would grow and you don't see as many of there are some gorgeous uh what's called possum haw holly that's what you see as you drive through the hill country in the winter months a plant that's dropped all its leaves but covered with big red berries possum haws would be something that he's probably not <laughs> going to have existing on that property of course mountain laurels uh, they grow wild all yeah, over my ranch he it, did mention mountain laurels he has some huge oaks so i know he's not really growing them for have trees sure 
there there's another first cousin to a mountain laurel it's called eve's necklace and uh it's the same genus it's sephora but uh it has a pinker flower and then it makes a long chain like uh collection of seeds that um, if you have a good imagination you could imagine that is looking like a necklace i guess but uh, eve's necklace is a less common um, one, my business partner who lives over uh, near Bergheim has those all over her property. And, yeah, uh, he lives right by there. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and, and those are a very interesting native tree that would do well. Uh, there are things, uh, the so-called Mexican buckeye, uh, Ugnadia is its botanical name, has pink flowers and it grows. I've got some on my ranch that are probably 12, 15 feet tall. And then there's a Texas buckeye or the red buckeye. Um, that one is uh, uh, Asculus. That is its uh, genus name. Uh, but that would be another native tree. Uh, there are, oh gosh, the list just goes on and on. There's a uh, Carolina buckthorn, uh, which has a uh, beautiful red fruit and flowers. Uh, I tell him to get a, a list of native trees and look them up, see which ones he likes. I happen to like a tree called Bumelia, B-U-M-E-L-I-A. And uh, it the leaf would remind you of a live oak, but it's just it's a nice variant. There's just lots of lots of fun, pretty things, and this is a nice time to drive around the hill country and see what's in bloom. And if you see something you like, try to figure out what it is and find a place that'll have some of them. Right. What was that one you said was ancho something? An uh, anacacho. Yeah. How do you spell it? Anacacho. Um. A n a. Oh gosh, Anna C A C H O, I believe. If uh, botanical name, which I, I, you know, just what my mind likes is Bohemia congesta, C O N G E S T A, is uh, the botanical name for the Anacacha orchid tree. It's it's more of a bush. It blooms white and it's cold hardy, whereas your purple uh, orchid trees will not be cold hardy in the you know Bernie Fair Oaks uh, area up there. Right. What about a bay tree? Bay tree, I would plant where you can give it enough supplemental water to get it started. Um, I've got a bay tree growing out next to an old structure that's probably been there 25 years. Uh, and it's, you know, 15 feet tall and 6 feet wide. And uh, it hadn't had any care for me in the past 10 years, although it did get regular care to get it started. Uh, it is more of a very upright, it's not a spreading tree-like plant it is uh more sort of an upright bush but certainly a great plant and if you happen to enjoy making a good roux and doing some cajun cooking it just you can't beat it well i know my daughter-in-law cooks a lot of great things so i thought that might be nice for her i i'm all in favor of uh uh you know of of things with bay leaf in them yes ma'am all righty then appreciate your help It's always a pleasure, Jan, and uh, you have a great Sunday, and I'm sure we'll talk again. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Kenny, Leah, Jennifer, and Carl. Kenny's up first. Good morning, Kenny. Bob, what is going on? It's just a beautiful morning out there and uh, first day of daylight savings, and I'm sorry some people don't like it. I sure look forward to my extra hour of daylight every evening to get something done. Well, it seems like that they were doing something in the legislature trying to either... Uh, just could do away with it. Or, yeah, uh, there's a bill. There's a bill in the Texas House, and uh, we'll see where it goes. I I just wish they'd make it permanent. I mean, I could use. It's always going to be dark when I go to work, so I sure like having some uh, 
some daylight when I get home. But that's a whole other subject. What's going on with you today? Yes, sir. Well, I just want to let you know that uh, your Norfolk pine is uh, alive and well in the backyard. <laughs> Very good. But uh, since I'm on that subject, uh, is there anything I can do around it as far as uh, uh Feeding it or, or, oh, sure. or mending the soil around yeah, it. Yeah, any of the same same fertilizers you use on other things, whether it's a, a dry organic fertilizer, Nature's Creation, Medina, Grow, any of the good ones. Or if you want to use, use a good liquid like Grow or Espoma, your tree will love you for it. And uh, good mulch around the base, just like you would any other tree, those will help your Norfolk grow bigger and uh make it more look like look more like those 150 tall ones you see on the polys in uh, hawaii yeah i don't think this bad boy's gonna get that big but uh <laughs> it's hanging in there yes sir uh, uh what i wanted to ask you was uh the uh the grass the grasses mm-hmm. okay and there's the there's a delmar and a floritan is it the floritan that's that that uh, is good for the sunny location? You got it exactly right. Uh, Del Mar is better for the shade. Floritam is probably our toughest sun-tolerant St. Augustine by far. It is also the most drought-tolerant of the St. Augustine. So you got a real sunny area, it's a good choice. Okay. Uh, how do you spell that? Is that F-L-O-R? F-L-O-R-A-T-A-M. Uh-huh. It was a joint project of the University of Florida and Texas A&M. That's where the name came from. They couldn't couple with anything more catchy than, you know, Flora from the University of Florida and TAM for you-know-who over in College Station. So that's where that name came from. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Now, having established that, where in the heck can I find it? There are a lot of companies around that produce grass. Uh, I... Typically, I'm not going to tell you they're perfect, but the best overall grass quality I've seen is uh, with Thomas Stone and Landscape. Uh, give Bill Thomas a call out there. Their main office is in Bulverde in San Antonio. They have an outlet uh, out there, Redland Road at 1604. And um, uh-huh. they they have better grass more consistently than anybody else I've seen in town. Like I say, I've never seen anybody in the grass business that was 100% perfect, but... Uh, uh, they're the place I go if I need grass. Okay, so yeah, that was uh, what I was wanting—something for the backyard that can that can take that sun. Yeah, it was actually uh, developed as a coastal grass uh, because it's not as much affected by chinch bugs. It still gets grub worms like any St. Augustine does, but it's it's just yeah. a tough. It's a little coarser grass. I mean, walking around it on a bare walking barefoot around on it. Uh, it's not going to be quite as easy on the feet as uh, some of the others are, but, hey, we want something that's going to take the sun, take everything Texas throws at it, and Floratam's that tough grass. Okay, and that's, that's F-O-R-A- F-L-O-R-A-T-A-M. T-A-M, Floratam. Okay, all right. All right, Bob, I appreciate you. Thank you, buddy. My pleasure. Be sure now... When you get it, lay it the day you get it. Roll it with one of those rollers to press out any air pockets between the soil underneath and the sod. And uh, now's a great time to to get it installed. So call me if you have any more questions, Kenny. And uh, I'll say good morning to Leah. <laughs> How's Leah? Good morning. Good morning. I admire and enjoy your show and your guidance. Well, my pleasure. My questions is very simple. I cut down a brush that was a tree 
but my do I cut or it's already cut? Is it best to cut east to west or north to south in a slant? Doesn't make any difference at all. You do whatever is easiest and safest for you. I've never seen one iota of difference, and um, I I tend to cut them flat because I don't want to fall on it or step on it if it's you know coming up at an angle. But uh, now, is this one you've taken out completely, or is this is one that you're pruning? Pruning. Okay. Uh, no, it doesn't make any difference. Just use sharp shears, and uh, the angle on the cut, I don't think, would make one iota of difference what its uh, orientation was. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You get out and enjoy your work, and I'll talk to Jennifer. Good morning, Jennifer. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I uh, have a few questions, okay. a few questions for you. Um, I always have a, a lot of trouble with aphids in the pecan trees. Okay. Is there anything I could start doing now to try to eliminate that? Well, check the base of your pecan trees. Be sure they're not buried. Uh, Many times aphids indicate that your trees are stressed for one reason or another, and it could be drought stress. It could be a number of things, but the most common stress on pecan trees is where the trunk has gotten buried too deeply. I I was amazed. Uh, David Vaughn, our our spectacular arborist, uh, gave our lecture over at Shades of Green yesterday, and he just couldn't say enough about the importance of exposing that root flare. And that is one of the things that, you know, makes makes the aphids more of a problem. Now, I don't know that I would do it quite yet, but probably two, three weeks from now, if the weather's right, I'd release some ladybugs. Ladybugs are some of the best aphid eaters we've got anywhere and um that would be one proactive step you could take uh we're we may have some chilly weather again so like i say i'm gonna wait two or three weeks to do it but uh i might release some ladybugs and that's probably going to be about uh uh the best things you can do i I really think though probably if you check you'll find the base of those trees is buried you expose that root flare you do away with a lot of the stress a lot of times uh, aphids will go see your neighbor instead of bothering uh jennifer Okay. Okay. Um, what about putting out a suet feeder? I read where, you know, those that will attract insect eaters. Um, it's probably not going to. The suet feeders are excellent, and um, there are a lot of different suet cakes out there. Now, when I was growing up, my mom went to the butcher shop and, you know, just got chunks of beef tallow, which is what suet is, and that's what we put up. We put them up in an old grapefruit sack or something like that, and it sure brought in, you know, lots of the birds that that dine on insects. Uh, If you go to Wild Birds Unlimited or somewhere like that, you're going to find suet cakes with seed mixed in. You're going to find probably eight or ten different kinds of suet cakes so i like that for feeding the birds but now as far as insect eaters even birds that are seed eaters you know throughout the summer months when they are raising their young they've got to have the protein and even your cardinals even your blackback lesser goldfinch all of our birds that we think of as being seed eaters they turn to insects as a major part of their diet during nesting season because they've got to get the protein you know in those little developing uh uh, hmm, bodies okay. of their offspring so anything you do to bring any kind of bird into your landscape is going to cut down on your insect problems now okay. the problem that you will run into with suet feeders in texas 
uh, is, well, first of all, in the summer months, when it gets really hot, that suet tends to melt and make a mess. So I'm big on suet spring and fall, but not so much in the middle of the summer. The other thing is put that suet feeder up in a place where it's going to be difficult for a raccoon or a possum to access it because they also love the suet. And I mean, that that raccoon will, you know, do almost anything to get to the suet. So hang it with a, you know, with a wire that they can't go up and down. Don't hang it with a chain. Hang it where they can't jump to it from the ground or from a fence or whatever. Uh, just be careful where you position your suet feeder, uh, but it will attract some beautiful birds, and those birds will help keep your, your bug problems under control. But uh, like I say, it's important to realize that all birds become bug eaters in the spring of the year. Okay, that's good to know. Um, last question. I'm sorry to take your time. Um, I have what I'm two here for. <laughs> yellow bush roses that uh-huh. I have in pots. Yeah. Um, can I put those in the ground now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Do you know what varieties are they are? Do you know what size, what their overall dimensions are going to be? Or um, They're in a pretty good size pot right now, probably a 12 to 14 inches across yeah, Maybe well, that that doesn't, that doesn't tell me anything about how big know, the plants are going to get. So, yeah, just pick a good sunny space and allow some room because they're gorgeous roses that never get over two feet tall, and they're beautiful roses that get ten feet tall. And I just want to be sure you allow adequate room and, um, oh, you know, where yeah. you won't have to try to dig them up again and move them because yeah, they, yeah. you thought it was a Martha Gonzalez and it turned out to be a mutabilis or something like yeah, that. Right. <laughs> and be sure to keep them well watered, especially in transplanting. That's one thing about rose bushes. You cannot ever allow the roots to dry out or they will do very poorly and probably fold up and die on you. So uh, take them out of the pot they're in, get them planted in the ground and soak them in thoroughly and uh, you'll be off to a beautiful spring. Okay. Any kind of root feeder or anything to put in there? You want to put a little Hastergrow grow or any good liquid fertilizer, that'd be fine. A little bit of uh, okay. what the Garrett, Howard Garrett calls Garrett juice uh, is a good mix, although it's not a fertilizer. It's good for getting the roots started, but uh, any of those things will work very well. You're not disturbing the roots when you're just popping them out of a pot and putting them into the ground. So uh, whether or not you add anything at all is strictly up to you. Okay. Thank you so much, sir. Have a great day. You do the same, Jennifer. Nice to hear from you. All right. It's going to be Carl and Don and Nancy. Carl is up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. What's going on today? Foggy Bergheim this morning. It's, yeah, it was just developing when I came in early, but, you know, it's just a sign of spring. Oh, it's beautiful. I, you know, I can't imagine anything grows out here. I go down through two inches of topsoil, and I hit rock and clam fossils, and it's it's really amazing that these tr- live oak trees can actually do what they do. You know, uh, Texas trees are as tough as some of the good Texas folks that uh, got this. Go. Uh, this is, you know, our, our Texas Independence Week, so kind of fun to look back. Uh, my grandmother's grandfather was actually present in Texas uh, back then to vote against Texas joining the Union. He saw he saw, saw the Civil War coming and didn't want Texas to be part of it. So he and Han- Sam Houston had uh, had similar thoughts. But anyway, kind of this is one of the many weeks that make me proud to be a Texan. Amen. Yeah, listen, i got a scattering of questions for you. Okay. One uh, general question. Do trees and shrubs have the ability to distribute nutrients throughout their system? Uh, it, it's about fertilizing. i got a mm-hmm. privet hedge that's real hard to distribute the 
Medina behind it, you know, can, sure. do you have to really spread the fertilizer even no. all around the tree and trap? No, not at all. And as old Malcolm Beck taught us years ago, what you're actually doing is feeding the soil microbes. The soil microbes are converting the fertilizer into things the plants can use. And, mm-hmm. um, you're, if you always did all your fertilizing on one side, you probably would get a bigger, cluster of roots on that side it's just the the roots are going to grow where the nutrients are but the uh the goodness is going to be spread throughout the top of the plant so i i would not be terribly concerned good 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 um now i got some mountain laurels about 12 15 feet tall beautiful uh well established and man i wasn't paying attention last year i guess some worms got in there and a lot of the tips of the branches now the last three or four inches have no leaves. Should I cut those back? No, leave them alone. They'll come back out. But I'm a little concerned when your mountain laurels get caterpillars, something is stressing them. Uh, I mean, uh-huh. around my own ranch, uh, rarely, and I've got hundreds, if not thousands, of mountain laurels growing natively. Mm-hmm. Every now and then I'll find one that has some caterpillars. And if I really search, I'll find that it's a super shallow rock where it's drought-stressed, uh, in our yards, they tend to be more off in the other direction. They're getting too much water. Uh, sometimes it's a physical injury. But uh, So when I see caterpillars on mountain laurels, I'm going to spend some time looking for why that's happening, and then I'm going to kill the caterpillars with BT. Right, um, right. Well, I, you know, I've always heard they don't like their feet wet, so I may not be watering them enough. Well, just soap water very, very thoroughly. I mean, right now, yeah, they could probably use a drink, but uh, uh, rarely do they need water except in a severe drought. And last August, we were in a severe drought. So if uh, you last year was probably a year you'd be more, more likely to see them than you will be this year. Now, if you want to put out some little trichogramma wasp, that's going to get rid of the eggs before the caterpillars hatch. If you want to be reactive, if you see any sign of the caterpillars, get your BT going. They're easily controlled without using toxic, toxic products. Got it, got it. But if it's, a, if it's not a drought, I don't really need to water them once a week, that sort of thing. Oh, no, absolutely not. When you yeah. first plant them, maybe so, but you're, yeah. you're obviously, if they're 10, 12 feet tall, they've been there a yeah. while. Absolutely. Hey, now, live oak trees in St. Augustine grass, do I rake the leaves and mulch them? I just run over them with a mower and uh, chop them up a bit. If they're not decomposing fast enough for me, I'll uh, spray them down with molasses or put out a little dry molasses. I leave them in place. You leave them? Okay. Yeah. And then lastly, I've got uh, an Esperanza by the front door that's a, it gets 8, 10 feet tall every year, gorgeous, and only every now and then blooms. Is there anything to coax it into blooming? More sun. That's just the sun thing. I mean, it's a south-facing wall, and it's got a friend a few feet down that blooms, and yep. this one just doesn't want to. It, and part of it is, um, you know, part of it is genetics. Uh, there are a lot of uh, crummy yellow esperanzas out there. Uh, I think it was old Greg Grant, our former extension agent, uh, horticulture agent here, made this selection uh, of what they call Gold Star, and it is truly a superior Esperanza. Uh, Blooms more, bigger clusters of flowers. It's possible that when these were planted, you got one Gold Star and one. Everybody wants to collect the seed and grow them from seed, and that's fine if you want a crappy Esperanza. If you want a really pretty yellow one, you want to grow it from cuttings. And uh, 
I mean, if it's if it's getting full sun and it's outside, it should be getting pretty much sun unless there's you know big overhanger trees out there. But it may right. just be a plant that is genetically yeah. inferior. It's never going to do anything. Dig it up and plant something different. There are now yeah. compared, you know, five years ago, all we had were the big old standard yellows. Uh, nowadays, we've got a bunch of new, more compact varieties in oranges and uh, almost reds, golds with a uh, kind of rust-colored throat. There are a bunch of new Esperanzas were uh, developed through breeding by a company called Mountain States Nursery. And uh, I, you know, if you've got room for a 15-foot plant, that's fine. But uh, if you'd rather have something a little more compact statured, maybe a little bit uh, different colors, uh, replace that one that's not blooming with uh, with one of the newer, more compact varieties. I'll do it. That sounds good. Listen, I just want to tell you, I appreciate the kindness and the patience you show all your callers. <laughs> the world would be a better place with more Bob Webster's. Well, you're very kind. And I, you know, I mean it. it's just... Uh, I just don't understand mean people. It's I, I always Amen. tell myself that, and and granted, some of us uh, maybe because of age or whatever else, we may be a little bit yeah. faster with our responses. But I'll be honest. I tell you, you know, the way I feel, that could have been my grandmother calling, and I'd sure want somebody to be nice to her. So. It's just Very easier good. to be nice to everybody out there. And it's kind of like Mark Twain said about the honesty. He said the easiest way to not have to remember what you told somebody is to always tell the truth. And uh, there you go. Uh, somebody ought to send that message up to Washington. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Listen, you have a great day, Bob. Thank you. You do much. the same, Carl. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we talked to Don next. Good morning, Don. Morning, Bob. Morning. My question is is on tomatoes. Okay. I did all my seedlings, and they're all about 10, 12 inches tall, but they're all thin. Is that due to lack of sunlight? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There, There's a hormone in the stem of most all plants, including tomatoes, that makes the cells stretch. The more that, that hormone is broken, broken down by sunlight, so the more sun your tomato seedlings get or any other seedling, the more compact they're going to stay because the cells don't stretch out as much. Um, when you get yours out into the garden, which is about time to do, in fact, it may be past time to do it, you need to get them as planted as soon as possible, just bear that thinner stem i mean uh, we talked yesterday um i think we actually talked in the talk i was giving down at saws yesterday about you know digging a trench and kind of laying that leggy tomato down into it and turning the top up above the ground level filling it in tomatoes are one plant you can do that with they're going to grow roots all the way up and down the stem and um this part that begins to grow once it's out in full sun, it's going to be really stocky and strong. So uh, I just I just get them out as soon as you can, Don. Okay, and all the peppers are starting to, they're all starting to stretch a little bit too. Yeah, uh, you're in Divine, so you're a little bit warmer than I am in the hill country. I think we're to the point that we may get some more cold weather, but. We would be able to cover, I doubt very much, that we're going to see any more of the low 20s weather that I saw in Bernie last week. So I don't know if my time schedule will permit. I've got about 10 days' worth of work to do in my two days off, but uh, I'm going to be putting my stuff out pretty soon. But I'm going to have the insulate handy just in case we get a late cold spell. Yeah, my problem is I'm still doing high fence, and i got to put a new submersible in the well. <laughs> I can't put anything in yet. So well, you just uh, move those little plants out where they're out of the wind, but where they're out in uh, the sun, 
and uh, things will start getting better immediately. So what's the colors I can let them go down in the evenings? Uh, tomatoes, as long as they don't get frost, they'll go down to 36, 38 without any problem. Most of the peppers, I'd like to keep them above 45. Then in our evenings have been above 50, most of yeah. them. All right, I just don't want to mess up right at the end. (laughs) Well, I sincerely hope we won't have to deal with it. Be aware, as you well know, we're not immune to wild and crazy weather. When I put my tomatoes, uh, anybody that's seen pictures of the way I grow tomatoes, I put a piece of hardware cloth over the top of the cage, extending several inches out in every direction. Everybody says, what on earth is that for? And it's a hail protection. You know, there's no tomato plant uh, ever been grown that will stand up to Texas hailstone. So uh, that's always a concern, but, um, you know, be watching for that. And if you have them outside, protect them if it gets real threatening. Yeah, it's hard to protect about 400 tomato plants. Well, I, you know, it's all in your priorities. You you can do whatever you uh, whatever you allow your time yourself time to do. So uh, do whatever works for you. But I can promise you, if you're getting tall, skinny plants, you really want to find a way to get them more sun. All righty. Thank you very much, Bob. Always a pleasure, Don. All right. Might mention right now uh, my free seminar next Saturday, 945 over at Shades of Green. It's going to be all about color. Anything you want to know about annuals, perennials, shrubs, vines, giant <laughs> rose bushes, things like that. Anyway, they're free. They're 945. Coffee's on by 9, and I'd love to have you come join us. Talk to Nancy and then Teresa. A couple of open lines. Grab one. If you've been getting a busy signal, it's a good time to dial. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, I just have one quick question. Okay. I have a Meyer lemon in a pot, Mm -hmm. probably a gallon container. It's full of blooms, but I'm wondering if I can transplant it into another pot. Absolutely. Yeah, when you're. It would be the time. When you are moving something simply from one pot to another. You're not messing up the root system, so the plant doesn't even hardly know it's been moved. Now, digging something from one spot and then moving it to another where you're really messing up the root system, yeah, that might be a cause for concern while something was in bloom. But we're just, uh, you know, this is just a move across the street into a bigger house. Uh, It's not going to affect your lemon tree at all in any negative fashion. So uh, go for it. Just use, you know, be sure that you're not burying it any deeper uh, obviously, you're going to a bigger pot, so you want to put some soil in the bottom of the new pot, raised up to the uh-huh. point where when you set your lemon tree in there, all you have to do is fill in around the sides, so you're not, you know, burying the trunk or anything like that. But you know, this is a this is a five minute job unless you choose to make it longer. And today would be a real good day to do it. Okay, good. I was thinking about doing it today. Yeah. Uh, another question. I was told that if I put the lemon tree in the ground in my area it probably wouldn't do very well and i live in the 78250 uh zip code out out north set north central uh, yeah kind of by uh bandera and grissom oh yeah um it really doesn't have anything to do with the fact that uh 
you know, your soil or anything like that. It has to do with the fact that Myers lemons are cold hardy only down into the upper 20s, and you are certainly in uh, one of the colder zones for the 7-8 zip code in general. But um, it's the, you know, the, the winter weather is the only thing that would keep you from putting it in the ground i mean if you wanted to build a little greenhouse over it in the winter and don't laugh i had a friend that grew a grapefruit tree in his backyard and harvested bushels of grapefruit but he built literally a greenhouse over that tree every winter month uh, every winter um sometimes with your home you may have a protected area that still gets good sunshine uh if it's a, a lemon tree any tree is always easier to maintain in the ground than it is in a pot but uh it's just if it gets real cold you're gonna have to give it some extra protection that's the that's the only issue i would face in seven eight two five oh okay well you've answered my question that's what i'm here for you do the same nancy i appreciate the call thank you bye all right teresa is up next good morning teresa good morning bob how are you doing today Uh, it's just another beautiful sunday out there what can i say it sure is. I've got a question concerning my magnolia tree. Okay. Um, the root flare has really gotten big, and the roots are really sticking out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Will it hurt the magnolia tree if I were to cut one of those roots that are really dangerous? <laughs> It, it, you know, it's like, could I cut off one of my fingers? I will still have nine left. And, uh, yeah, you could cut off one root and you can cut off one finger. The tree doesn't really like it when you start taking out roots. And where possible, I would tend to put something over the roots in the form of compost or mulch or something like that. Magnolia trees, as I'm sure you have observed, uh, like to have the roots in the shade. That's why they form those big old limbs. That's why the limbs grow so close to the ground. And yes. putting, you know, two, three, four inches of mulch over the surface of the ground will make that tree extremely happy and would reduce the trip hazard, so to speak. But I'm, you know, if you want a magnolia tree, and obviously you've had this one for a while if it's doing that well, but magnolias are trees that you don't live under. If you start cutting the lower limbs off to where you're, you know, walking back and forth and doing all sorts of stuff underneath them, that tree's going to really resent it. It's one tree that likes to be able to have its limbs practically dragging okay. on the ground. So um, okay. I, I would rather you didn't, but you're not going to okay. kill the tree if you take out one root. Well, but go ahead. there are several magnolia trees in my neighborhood, and mm-hmm. I'm always getting compliments on mine. Uh-huh. What do I do to my magnolia tree? And I said, I just follow what Bob says. <laughs> Don't remove the limbs from the bottom hey, for any of them. You're a great listener, Teresa. And, <laughs> and I've had my tree for almost 20 years. Very good. What part of town do you live in? Uh, right off of Bulverde in 1604. Uh, you're you're doing it right. You've obviously got uh, some of the better soil. Not everybody out there has uh, soil good for growing magnolias. And is yours the standard? I guess if it's that old, it's probably your standard magnolia. It's not the little gem, which is a slightly more compact variety. So, oh, it's it's the standard. Yeah. Well, tell your neighbors that um, you know they can grow one just as nicely, but. Uh, you may be, I mean, obviously you're doing everything right in growing it, but you may well, also I'll be blessed with a little deeper soil. I don't add anything to it. I just water it. Yeah. 
you've got a good place for it is what I'll tell you because magnolia trees do like deeper soil. Um, I see them in Terrell Hills. I see a lot of them in King William. I see some of them on the southeast side. Very few people in Stone Oak or far northwest San Antonio that are sitting on that shelf of rock will grow in as well as you are, but you obviously are in a place where you have fairly good deep soil and you're doing everything right. So just keep bragging and just keep doing what you're doing, which is nothing. And put away put away the chainsaw. I'll just continue listening to Bob and following his instructions. Well, you're great, Teresa. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for all you're doing. God bless you, Bob. Thank you so much. You as well. Okay. Um, Let me see. I've got somebody calling in right this second. We've got time for one more phone call this hour, and that would be Michael. Boy, that's the shortest wait you ever had, isn't it, Michael? It is. It is. (laughs) Your timing timing was perfect. It is broken clocks right twice a day. There you go. Hey, Bob, I've got a I've got a neighbor who has a live oak tree that it's about ten feet, twelve feet from the uh, house. Okay, and she's ha- they're having problems with the roots getting into the plumbing. Okay, that's not and, a that's not the tree's fault there. And and again, David Vaughn went over this yesterday. Trees do not burrow into pipes. If the pipe is broken, if there's a leak in the pipe, if there's a problem with the pipe, the roots will go in. But the roots do not drill or force their way into a pipe. She she doesn't have a tree problem. She has a plumbing, a plumbing problem. Issue. Yeah. Okay. Is it an old house? Is uh, like me? I live in a hundred year old house with tile sewer lines and. Uh, or line to septic tank, and I every few years have to have those roots uh, taken out. But if she, if the home was built in the era of modern plumbing, uh, they may have used uh, and years, you know, ten years ago they used some pretty cruddy things, especially for sewer lines and things. And she may actually have to have the line replaced. But it's not the fault of the tree. Okay, well let me uh, because she's talking about she's contemplating taking out the tree and i hate to see it's a live oak i hate to see it's not going to solve her problem it's not going to solve her problem the problem was there and the tree took advantage of it the tree did not create the problem so encourage her let her know yeah and tell her to Tell her to call a good arborist if she has any other questions. But, I, I, you know, and, and again, this is something I talk about periodically, and David Vaughn, who's the uh, best arborist I know, was talking about the same exact things. Trees, with rare exceptions. Now, there may be a time that a, a tree root is under a pipe, and as the tree root grew, it pushed the pipe to where the pipe cracked or something, but a tree has no mechanism to get itself inside of a pipe. The The break was already there or she wouldn't have roots in the pipe. So pass it along and okay. tell her if she's got any questions, she can call me. I will, sir. Thank you. You're welcome, Michael. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye.